All right, good morning. It's great to see you here today at Hope and Anchor Church. I am thankful that we get to worship together. I'm really thankful for that uh, particular uh, set of songs we shared and we uh, joined in uh, together uh, during worship. That was some great theology. I mean, just a great reminding and recentering us in uh, who Christ is and what Christ means for us, that He came to us, that He... Uh, shared himself with us, that he died for us, then rose again, and then he uh, invites us into that resurrection life. That's really all we're celebrating today, the resurrection life in Jesus Christ. At the end of the message, we're going to share communion together, which is really a, a, a real tangible picture of that invitation. We are invited into the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, but that resurrection life first passes through, through death. That we uh, die to ourselves, we die in our sins, uh, but we are raised to new life through faith in Jesus. Um, the curse that has beset all creation and all of humanity uh, since Genesis 3 is unmade in Jesus Christ through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And so we get to celebrate that today, and I'm really thankful for that. Today we are continuing in our Law and Prophets teaching series. Uh, this is our learning adventure through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, basically where Jesus gathers people around him and, and talks about the themes of his ministry, the, the, the important understandings and concepts of the, of the kingdom life. Uh, this is week 13 of a 17-part series, and today's message is called Fool's Gold. Fool's Gold. Um, I hate to do this to you once again. I know everyone's ready to move on from COVID and ready to move on from the pandemic. But uh, here I am dragging us back into the heart of the pandemic once again. I'm sorry, coronavirus. <laughs> here we come. <coughs> At the height of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020, um, our president, <clears throat> who was notably not a doctor and not a scientist either, uh, loudly promoted... Uh, a well-known malaria drug as a treatment for COVID-19 infection. Does anyone remember this? Uh, now, malaria, you may be familiar with it if you've ever traveled to subtrop or the equatorial region, maybe Brazil, things like that. Malaria is a uh, mosquito-borne illness that uh, implants parasites into your body and can be fatal. It can cause some really bad uh, complications, and it's a, it's a real problem in the tropical parts of our planet. Uh, but there was this well-known malaria drug that was developed in 1955 here in the United States for the treatment and the prevention of malaria. However, word started getting out that this might be, in, one of the, in the early days of the pandemic, a treatment for malaria. Or, I'm sorry, COVID. It is a treatment for malaria. But it might also be a treatment for COVID-19 infection. Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine was catapulted into the spotlight as individuals and even governments scrambled to get their hands on this miracle drug, hydroxychloroquine. Now the good news is, there's good news and there's bad news here, okay? I'll start with the good news because I'm nice. The good news is, of all those people who took hydroxychloroquine, none of them came down with malaria. Thank the Lord. None of them, even though there's no cases of malaria ever in the United States except southern Florida. But anyway, no one that took hydroxychloroquine came down with malaria. That is good news. However, the bad news is this. The results were very mixed 
uh, as it, regarding its efficacy in helping prevent COVID-19 infection. Uh, it soon became evident there was no scientific data to back up uh, the, uh, the hydroxychloroquine hype. Worse yet, many people were harming themselves. Hydroxychloroquine, even when taken as prescribed, has some pretty stout side effects of nausea, vomiting, uh, pretty uh, severe general malaise. I mean, it's not a fun drug to take if you've ever taken anti-malarial drugs. Um, Pat, I know you have <laughs> going to Africa, right? Uh, but the problem is, is in people's untrained minds, more is always better, right? So if you're supposed to take one hydroxychloroquine, well, taking two would bring 200% of the effect. Problem is, uh, it was making people very sick. People were being harmed by taking too much hydroxychloroquine, too much of this drug. Um, after a while, as things usually happen, the news cycle turned its attention elsewhere. It turned its attention elsewhere and people moved on from the promise and the, the hope of the hydroxychloroquine wonder elixir. Turns out, in the end, in retrospect, we realized, unsurprisingly, that the president didn't really know what he was talking about. He had uh, incomplete or inaccurate information, uh, and none of the data was there to back up his statements. People just kind of ran with it because uh, a perceived authority was saying it without really taking in uh, uh, the potential ramifications or looking for the data to back it up. As with many things, uh, Promotion of hydroxychloroquine was largely based on hearsay and media hype, and that's not good things to make decisions by. Hearsay and media hype. Just keep that in your back pocket, almost in any situation. Look beyond the media hype and the hearsay, okay? Even though the hydroxychloroquine frenzy died down fairly quickly, there were some lingering problems. There were some lingering problems proving to be both bothersome and expensive. Some real expensive problems that came from hydroxychloroquine frenzy. Some people spent an absolute fortune on buying up huge quantities of hydroxychloroquine. Just as much as they could get stockpiling hydroxychloroquine before it was, even, before it was proven to be worthless at preventing or curing COVID. And since, as I mentioned, malaria is all but unheard of in the United States, there was very limited call for its intended use among the general population. Case in point, the state of Oklahoma. The state of Oklahoma purchased over two million dollars worth of hydroxychloroquine. Million dollars. Two million dollars worth of hydroxychloroquine. And they are now stuck with this massive, useless stockpile of a drug that no one wants or needs. So what do they do? State officials in Oklahoma are now scrambling. They're doing whatever they can to return it or sell it to anyone who will buy it because everyone in malaria-free Oklahoma now wants their money back. This was a bad investment. We don't need this anti-malaria drug here in Oklahoma, they say. According to ABC News, Republican Governor Kevin Stitt defended the purchase last year, saying the drug was showing some promise as a treatment in early March, and he didn't want to miss an opportunity to acquire it, which can be forgiven. It was being, I was being proactive to try and protect Oklahomans, Stitt said at the time. The drug has since been shown to have little or no effect on severe cases of COVID-19, and a former state health official chalked up Oklahoma's purchase to something that happens in the fog of war. Maybe you felt that too. 
There was so there was so much almost panic. Remember March 2020? That was pretty early on. Um, we were grasping at anything. And so you'd hear this or you'd hear that and, and you'd uh, start chasing it down and trying to get your hands on it and stuff. And so a whole state, a whole state governing body latched onto this idea, bought $2 million worth of it, and now they're kind of stuck with it. They apparently didn't buy it from Amazon because they could do return it if it was in 30 days, right? Or 60 days at Christmas time. Anyway, the fog of war. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, the fog of war. Every day, you and me, all of us, we go out into battle. We go out into battle into the world, confronted with competing values, with contradictory ideas, uh, clamoring idols, and we're being lured, we're being drawn this way and that. We're pulled in different directions every single day. It's easy to talk about hydroxychloroquine because that's an easy example we can all look back on and be like, yeah, yeah, malaria drugs. You know, but it happens every day in more than just uh, pharmaceutical COVID issues, right? Every day from multiple sources, from the media, from friends, from officials, and even from the church, we are regularly directed. We are regularly told to pursue this, avoid that, and then get all you can of this, right? We're, we're, we're like puppets on a string sometimes, being pulled this way and that by all these authorities in our life. Why must you do these things, they say. Why must you do these things, says the government. Why must you do this this thing your social influence says, or the church says, well, obviously because your very life depends on it. You want to live, don't you? We usually chalk it up to dangling you over the, the, the pits of doom. I mean, it's like you want to live, don't you? This is why you ought to do this. As a result, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and just give in and just do whatever you're told. We get worn down every day. We fight this battle, and we can get pretty tired. And sometimes it's easy just to throw your hands up like, whatever, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Just tell, tell me what to take. I'll take it. I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and just give up and do whatever you're told. We can end up spending our lives pursuing other people's priorities. And I think that's really the, at the heart of this tragedy. Be it through exhaustion or just the drip, drip, drip of other people's uh, influence and direction and telling us what to do, we can just end up saying, okay, whatever. And we end up spending our lives pursuing other people's priorities. We can find ourselves ordering our one wild and precious life around the gain of ultimately meaningless things. Yikes. To find out that we spend our lives, the few days that we're given, pursuing things that in the end are meaningless. What greater tragedy is there than that? That at the end of your life, you'd look back and be like, ah, oh, I pursued meaningless things. At the end of your life, how regrettable will it be to discover that you spent your days scrambling to accumulate things that you can't even keep? That you spent your days pursuing things that in the end will slip through your fingers and be, I couldn't even keep it. I couldn't keep it. Jesus himself tells us that the frenetic pursuit of treasures here on earth is futile and frustrating. 
All these things will eventually decay and fade away. Everything, everything will fade away. It will decay. Sad story. This is a sad story. So many talented, motivated, beloved by God people spend their few days on earth in the pursuit of ultimately worthless stuff. It's all going to go away. Even those who are so rich that they're launching themselves into outer space on their own rockets. I mean, in the end, it's all going to fade away. It's all going to prove worthless in the end. Here's what we know. No one has yet to lie on their deathbed regretting not spending more time at the office. It's true. No one in their last days on a deathbed are saying, I wish I would have answered more emails. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have bought more hydroxychloroquine. No one says those things. At the end of our lives, our regrets will have almost entirely to do with missed opportunities. Things we missed out on. Things we could have pursued and we didn't. The stuff that, you know, uh, uh, they say nothing clears the mind like an impending execution. It's like, uh, it's like when our death is approaching and we can see it coming, suddenly we have this great clarity that says, Oh, oh no, I pursued the wrong stuff. I spent my life chasing after stuff that makes no difference now. I mean, very rich men have laid on their deathbed and their family's estranged. No one's there that cares for them. No one's there to hold their hand. No one's there to kiss their forehead. No one's there to say, Christ be with you. That's a sad end. At the end of our lives, our regrets will be almost entirely about missed opportunities. Missed chances to love more. Missed chances to invest our time and our energy more wisely. Missed chances to bless others. Missed chances to grow in a real and meaningful life. Man, at the end of my life, I've said it before, it's like when I fold my hands in death, I want to look at each of my children and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great-grandchildren, because I'm going to live a long time. I take vitamins. Um, uh, but I want to have them around my bed, and I want to have a, a, a sense of satisfaction that says, this has been good. This has been good. Thank you. I want the refrain of my life at the end to say to God and to the people that I've loved, thank you. Thank you. This life has been a gift, and I've received it and, and lived it well, I hope. Thank you. Thankfully, Jesus once again here, comes to us to rescue us. He comes to rescue us here. He's eager to help us see through the fog of war, help us to focus on what truly, truly matters. At the end of it all, what truly matters in life. Jesus comes to guide us in how to live and then where to store up the real treasure. Where do we store up the things that truly have value and truly matter? How do, we, how do we pursue it and then how do we store it up? How do we save it? How do we hold on to it? As Eugene Peterson describes, he, he, he describes what Jesus is doing here in this passage. In his love, Jesus diagnoses what is unique in us. Jesus understands the precise ways in which things have gone wrong, and he diagnoses the particular aberrations that have seeped into our lives, and then he commandingly and mercifully saves us from them. 
Jesus' love awakens the sleeping parts of our lives to the colors and delights of eternal life. Jesus, so many times, especially here in the Sermon on the Mount, comes among us and says, Hey, wake up. Hear this. Out of love, he spends his time, his energy, his moments among us saying, I don't want you to miss this. Please do not miss this because with Jesus comes this eternal, this holy, but this eternal perfect perspective that says, hey, I see something you can't see right now. You're so crowded in by all these concerns and, and pursuits and pleasures. But let me tell you, you don't want to miss this. So he snaps his fingers in front of us and says, hey, hear this. Pay attention to this. You don't want to miss it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to read verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, starting in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust they cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if, you th if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. How many have heard this passage? Pretty common. I mean, it's a, it's a popular passage. We've spent time in this. There's some parts that are easy to understand. There's some parts that the eye is the lamp of the body. That's a little more like question mark, you know, but we get it. We understand what Jesus is talking about here. Now, as mentioned previously, the whole Matthew chapter 6 uh, passage, it could be filed under the heading priorities. Priorities. What should be my priorities? In this life with Christ, what ought to be my priorities? Well, Matthew 6 is a good place to look. How do we keep our life on track and how do we stay focused on God? How do we stay focused on God Himself? Under that general heading, Jesus takes us and tur helps turn our attention. He says, now pay attention here. He turns our attention to our all-too-human drive to pursue treasure on earth. To stockpile wealth here and now. He draws our attention to our tendency to make created things ultimate things in our life. We have this ability and we have this natural inclination to, 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 to make created things ultimate things. And this is what, what Tim Keller uh, utilizes as his definition of what? Idolatry. We make idols. We can take almost anything and turn it into an idol. We can take any created thing and start to live and, 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 and worship it as if it's an ultimate thing. So Jesus wants us to be on guard because that will wreck our lives when we take a created thing and make it an ultimate thing. So Jesus comes and He challenges us. He challenges us to reconsider, to refocus and recalibrate our priorities. It's important for us to have our priorities identified and then ordered rightly. Jesus wants us to be aware of the risks and the dangers of a life misspent. We are all in danger of living a life misspent. Is that scary? Absolutely. I remember when I was young, a teenager, is like, oh no, there's a lot of pressure here. I want to get this right. 
And it wasn't just because I had religious, you know, uh, uh, down pressure, you know, like, oh, you don't want to sizzle like a piece of sausage, do you? No. Uh, I want to live a life, and I want to live it well. I want to live it toward the right things. Jesus wants us to be aware of the risks and the dangers of a life misspent. Jesus wants us to clearly understand. He wants us to clearly understand this, so don't miss it. Days spent in pursuit of worldly treasure are wasted. Days spent in the pursuit of worldly treasure, which moths eat, rust destroys, and thieves steal, those, my friend, are wasted days. Days you can't get back, days you can't take with you. Those are wasted days. As N.T. Wright explains, Jesus wanted his followers to establish heavenly treasure right now. Treasure which they could enjoy in the present as well as the future. Treasure that wasn't subject to the problems that face all earthly hordes. How can one do this? Well, the whole chapter so far has given us a clue. Learn to live in the presence of the loving Father. Learn to do everything for Him and Him alone. Get your priorities straight. So as N.T. Wright reads this passage, Jesus' teachings here, it all funnels down, it all boils down to this. Keep your priorities straight. Know what's most important, and then order your life around those things. Keep your priorities straight. Having your priorities straight is the theme that ties Jesus' statements together here. All that we read today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, there's three basic statements he makes here, but they're all tied together in this. Have your priorities straight. Stay focused on God because, as we've demonstrated each in our own life over and over again, we worship whatever it is we fix our eyes on. Okay? You, me, all of us. We've demonstrated this all over and over again throughout human history, throughout your whole life. We've demonstrated that whatever it is we fix our eyes on, we worship it. Because wherever our eyes are fixed, our heart follows. We end up worshiping whatever we fix our eyes upon. So let's look at verse 19 through 21 once again. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus says it. Wherever... Your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. What do you treasure most in life? Well, think about what's the, the utmost desires in your heart. What is it you wake up thinking about? What is it you spend your time pursuing? In verses 19 through 21, Jesus leads us to reevaluate the stuff that we pursue. He says, hey, reevaluate the stuff you pursue, the stuff you surround yourself with, because all that glitters is not gold, so be careful. There's stuff that makes wild promises, eye-popping promises in this life, but in the end, they prove worthless. So be careful. Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about this life and get ready for the next one. Okay? There's this dualism that can creep in here, and it's a whole, another a whole other talk we could have. But we can sometimes hear, like, don't store up treasures on earth, but think about heavenly stuff, you know, and then Christians end up being so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good, you know. Uh, we have to be careful of this, this disconnect, that we just don't care about anything here. We only care about the hereafter. That's to miss the point of what Jesus is saying. N.T. Wright helpfully clarifies, then he says, heaven here is where God is right now. 
When Jesus says the kingdom of, of heaven is close at hand, it is among you. In the power of his resurrection, all authority on heaven and earth is his now. And it's him in our midst through God's Holy Spirit. It's here now. N.T. Wright says heaven here is where God is right now and where if you learn to love and serve God right now, you will have treasure in the present, not just the future. We have to have this holistic, seamless, starting now understanding of eternity. What God is doing in you, what He's done for you in Jesus Christ is not uh, only uh, kicking in after you die. It started the moment you placed faith in Jesus. You were already made new. You were already brought into this resurrection life. You were already receiving salvation. So why would the treasure that Jesus talks about only kick in and only be, uh, have meaning and purpose after we die? That makes no sense. It's been brought into our present, brought into our reality, and thus we are now invited to live into it now to store up the treasure that matters now, to enjoy it, to share it, to bless others with it here and now. Whatever we treasure most now will capture our attention. Whatever we treasure most now will gain our worship both now and in eternity, whether that be our Creator God or something else. In God's justice, in the end, we will get what we what we desired in life, what we served, what we pursued in life, He will, in His justice, give that to us in its fullness. Whether that was Himself or something else, we will get what we pursued. Verse 22 and 23, Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Jesus here reinforces his teaching, but he does it with kind of a, something that comes across to us as a tricky saying. I mean, this is kind of a tricky saying about the eye being the lamp of the body. This isn't a metaphor we, we're familiar with, maybe. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your life will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, hello darkness, my old friend. Okay, I think that's... What does this mean? Well, I think Jesus is pointing out three things here. The eye is good, your, your, your whole life will be filled with light. If it's bad, darkness. First, we must keep our eyes fixed on God. Hey, you make sure your eyes are good by staying focused on your Maker. Stay focused on God. How do we do that? We, well, we, we, we become accustomed to, we spend regular time orienting ourselves, centering ourselves in the Word of God. We spend time in Scripture. We regularly enter into times of prayer and listen closely to what God might have to say to us. We join in worship together to train ourselves. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Even when I don't feel like it, I will practice this thing that is of worth. I will worship my God. So the first thing Jesus is saying, we must keep our eyes fixed on God. How do you keep your eyes good? Keep them focused on a good God. Two, be careful about the other things you look at and focus on. Okay? Be aware of those things that bring temptation. Be on guard about those things that are rising up and demanding your worship, starting to become idols in your life, things that are calling you away from that which you know you ought to be doing so that you can uh, satisfy those pleasures or desires. So be on guard against temptation and idolatry. Be careful of what else you look at besides God. Third, your eyes are like the headlights of a car, okay? Your eyes, imagine this. This is, this is a metaphor we get, right? <laughs> Cars, headlights. 
Your eyes are like the headlights of a car. Are these headlights pointing in the right direction? Are these headlights leading you in the right direction? You've ever had a car that had an adjustment out on one of the headlights and it's completely useless because it's pointing at the guardrail or it's pointing at the, up into the night sky? Pointless, absolutely useless, right? But our eyes are like that. They have to be pointing in the right direction. Are our eyes pointed in the right direction? Are they showing you the right road or are they leading you into danger? Are they leading you into the ditch? So Jesus basically is saying, hey, where you focus matters. You want your eyes to be good? You want your life to be full of light? Look to the God who is good and who is light. He will fill you with that. Verse 24, let's finish up here. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here Jesus summarizes a core teaching of his with a well-known verse. Many have heard this passage before. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You can't have divided affection, divided loyalty, divided worship. Recent research has shown, surprise, humans are pretty terrible at multitasking. Do you know this? I mean, like in the 90s, it was like this huge promise of like multitasking. You can do so many things at once. It's awesome. Well, research actually shows we're really bad at it. We can do more than thing, one thing at once, but we're not doing any of those things really well. Have you found this to be true in your life? I hate it. I, I mean, being called in more than one direction. Yeah, we're bad at multitasking. We're really terrible at it. We're, we're terrible at multitasking physically, technically, emotionally, and spiritually. We're really bad at multitasking. While it is possible for us to do more than one thing at once, our effectiveness suffers, our engagement suffers, and it ultimately results in less productivity and more frustration and more waste. When we're called, we're applying ourselves in more than one direction. It's like Jesus knew what he was talking about, how humans are made or something. It's like, man, you're going to wear yourself out. You're bad at multitasking. And spiritually speaking, we are actually uh, completely incapable of multitasking. Do you know this? You can't even fake it. You can't even do it poorly. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, spiritually speaking, you can't multitask. When it comes to worshiping two things at once, it's impossible. You cannot do it. You will not do it. Sure, you can fake it. I mean, churches are full of people that are trying to fake it. They're playing, play pretending. They're hypocrites, as we talked about last week. They're actors, right? We can fake it and we can live in denial for a while, but the reality is stark. Jesus pulls no punches here at the end of the passage. I mean, read it again and your eyes kind of pop open like, oh my gosh, he's really taking it seriously here, huh? You can love or hate. In the spiritual dimension, the things that you will worship, your God, you will either love or hate. You are either devoted or you are despising. This is a land of extremes. <laughs> you will love one and hate the other. There's no middle ground here. You will love one and hate the other. You will love God or you will love money. You will love God or you will love the world, but you, you will not love both. And this is the thing. God isn't like putting this command. He's not like Jesus isn't creating this like, I know this is for your own good. Just, just stiff upper lip. You can't love God and money. You'll hate the one, you'll love the This isn't God pronouncing a command or a limitation on us. He's identifying a tendency within us. 
So when you hear this really kind of severe statement Jesus makes at the end of verse 24, understand, it's not God. It's us. We create this reality. It's us that can't do these two things. And Jesus is pointing it out. He's like, don't be deceived. You can't do both of these things at the same time. You can't worship God and then pursue wealth. You can't pursue a worldly treasure as, as if it's going to save you. You'll, hate the, you'll love one and hate the other. That's, as, that's, that's just the way that it is. You're incapable of doing more than that. Imagine it this way. Our hearts can only point in one direction at a time. Our hearts can only be pointed toward one thing at a time. It's that simple. We can't be doing both. We're not like chameleon hearts with eyes that look two days. We have one heart and it looks in one direction at a time. So my friends, let me join with Jesus in saying, be careful. Just be careful. Be careful. Much is at stake in this life. Much is to be gained and much is to be lost. There is much treasure to be had. But guys, there's a lot of fool's gold out there. There's a lot of stuff that's shiny, but it's worthless. Stuff that will draw your attention and send you chasing after it, but in the end, it proves worthless. You have a chance to make a real difference. In the days, the years that you're given, you have a chance to make a real difference. You have a chance to invest wisely, both now and in eternity. You have a chance to invest wisely, both on this earth and in heaven, to sow seeds of love, to sow seeds of blessing, to sow seeds of gospel hope in our world. Let's pursue those things, because those things matter. As your pastor, I want you all to live well. But as weird as this will sound, I want you to live well, but I also want you to die well. We don't talk about death. We're kind of death avoidant. But I want you to die well, too. At the end of your life, I want you to breathe a thank you. Thank you. A sense of gratitude that, I, that this, was life, this whole life was a gift. And I received it. I received it rightly from the one who made me. Thank you. I want you to live well. And I want you to die well. I want you to die with no regrets. I want you to... <laughs> hope no one like edits that out. Like, See? <laughs> Local pastor. Evangelicals. <laughs> he said he wants his people to die. <laughs> They'll like clip off the end like, I want you to die. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. No, I want you to die well. I want you to die with no regrets. I want you to be able to fold your hands in death. I want you to be satisfied in how you spent your life. I want you to be happy fulfilled in how and, and where you invested it. Does that sound good? Know that that's my hope for you. Life is full of pitfalls. Life is full of distractions and false promises. Life is full of fool's gold. But Jesus is with us. And Jesus cares for us. And He's guiding us. He has come to lead us into abundant, meaningful, and everlasting life starting now. Praise the Lord. Rest in that. Center yourself in that. Let's follow Jesus because He will lead us home. That's good news. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for Jesus, that he cares so much to patiently sit with us and to remind us, to point out these things that sometimes we forget, but we have these tendencies. We have these uh, uh, issues where we, we try 
to serve more than one thing. We try to make to have more than one God in our life, and we're just really incapable of doing that. We will love the one and we will hate the other. We'll love the one, we'll hate the other. We can only pursue truly one thing at a time. Our hearts can only point in one direction at a time. And so, Jesus, thank you for coming and sitting with us and making us aware, reminding us, pointing out the dangers of a life misspent, but also holding forth the promise, the promise of what you offer to those who trust in you. By faith in you, we are led into a life that is meaningful, abundant, and free. And, and that's where we find ourselves oriented toward, the, toward that which offers true meaning and purpose in our lives. And so, God, I pray that uh, we would heed those words. We would critique ourselves, identify those created things that we've tried to turn into ultimate things in our lives, whether it's our work, whether it's our wealth, whether it's our, uh, our, our, our um, reputation, or who we hope to be uh, to the watching world. God, we have the ability to turn a lot of stuff, weird stuff, worthless stuff, into idols. Holding them up next to you and saying, no, this is better. I'll worship this created thing over you, God. Yikes. But if we read the Bible, we find that we have this human tendency. It's not just an Israel thing. It's not just a, <laughs> a New Testament. It's, it's us. It's human. We do this. We are idolaters. And you've come to free us from that. God, I pray that uh, we would have a perspective that casts our whole life in the proper uh, light, helps us see the value of our days, that we would spend each hour rightly, that we would pursue the stuff that is truly meaningful, that brings joy and love and blessing into our world, that keeps us rightly oriented, traveling uh, further up and further into your kingdom. God, I pray for my friends here. I pray that they would do a kind of a ruthless self-examination of their life, that they would check it out, that they would see where they're trying to do more than one thing at once. They're trying to spiritually multitask. I pray that you would bring conviction, bring clarity, and help us walk truly after you, unified with singular focus. God, I pray for my friends who've never trusted Jesus. I pray that they'd hear the, the awe and wonder of this invitation, that true life is ours, both now and in eternity for those who trust in Jesus. So I pray that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ today. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to um, finish up with communion. And uh, this is a, a, a tangible expression of that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That so through His life, His death, and His resurrection, we have been invited into true, meaningful, everlasting life. Through His body that was broken and His blood that was shed, He paid the price for our sins, that, that which separated us from God. So now all who believe in Him are washed clean. We're made new. We are forgiven. And we can enter back into God's family and find our welcome home with Him. So uh, this is what we do. We come, we take the bread, we take the cup. We remember what it is Christ did for us. And as the fact that we are remembering, it means this is for those who've trusted in Jesus, who have committed to following after Him. Even if it's been pretty <laughs> sporadic or imperfect, we decide, I'm following Jesus. I'll keep my eyes on Jesus and I'll follow Him. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, please share communion with us today. It's for you. Also, it's important, it's proper, that you take a few moments before you uh, participate, before you partake in the elements of communion, to spend some time in self-reflection. Sit in the light of Christ and say, search me and know me. Where have I been divided? Where have I been distracted? Where have I been seeking other uh, treasures in this life? 
Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me toward forgiveness and repentance. For I want to honor you with my life. I want my eyes to be good and my life be filled with light, your light. So uh, take a few moments. And then when you're ready, I'd ask that you come down the center aisle, be served, go down the side aisles, be seated. And then once everyone is served, uh, we will partake together. Um, this is exciting news. This is the last of the prepackaged communion. How great is that? So uh, get excited. I think we have enough. But uh, if we run out, it's not a statement on your spiritual condition or anything. So whenever you're ready, come and be served.